Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. about even those joining us online we have someone from our body that I just want to lift up and her name is Marty Agudo how many remember Marty Agudo she comes up in the wheelchair pulls up and has sat in the back for many years here and um, she's she's really having a hard time and she's supposed to go to hospice this Sunday or excuse me Monday and we want to lift her up in prayer even though she's not here physically I know she is one with us, so let's lift her up in prayer and this service. Father, it is about you. And it's very humbling going to places where we see what's going to happen to this body. And we spend so much time grooming this body, taking care of this body, feeding this body, thinking about this body. And yet... We're reminded what the scripture says, our life is like a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes. And so I pray that everyone listening online or here present today, that you would help us understand the brevity of life. But then like Paul, it's not really a sad thing. He said, it's better for me to go on and be with God. I want to go on to be with God. And so... We lift up someone that's been a part of us for a long time that you may be taking to be with you. And as much as possible, Father, make yourself known to her spirit. I don't ask for something that probably you don't want to give because you said, is it appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment? And you said our days are numbered. So we pray that the peace of God would be hers in abundance at this time. And most of all, everyone here this morning, it's so easy to be distracted. Help us be intentional on praising you with our minds, with our lips, with our hearts, and work through your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated at this time. We're continuing our series through the book of Romans. And remember, when you walk into the gates or walk into the sanctuary, Above the doorpost, it says, living God's way. It is a passion of mine. It's been a passion of mine to teach my family that, to live God's way everywhere you go, everything you do, every day of your life. How are you doing on that? You can do it. It is possible to do it. But if you get distracted on this flesh, you will not be able to do it. And so the title of this morning's message is The Spirit, Not the Law, is How We Will Overcome Sin. Now, to help you understand where we're at, the book of Romans is divided up very nicely. Some have said Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 are some of the meatiest chapters in the Bible. Chapter 5, if you recall, talks about salvation and justification. Justification, that means the penalty of sin has been paid for in full. That chapter talks a lot about that. You have been set free. The penalty has been paid if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then you go to Romans 6. It talks a lot about justification. That's the process where after God justifies you, he wants you to look like Jesus. How are you doing? How are you doing on that? What do people say around you? Do they call you little Jesus? I know about that remark because I used to study John Maxwell's material all the time and I'd bring it to my staff and they'd call me little Maxwell, little John. Have you been guilty of being called little Jesus? So you have the penalty of sin being paid for. 
And then you have the power of sin being broken through sanctification. The power of sin no longer has control over you anymore. You get to believe that and you get to enjoy that. That is true. How are you doing? Then chapter 8 talks about the presence of sin will be no more once you enter the pearly gates of heaven. That's called glorification. Presence of sin. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. And then I think about what we get fixated on. Preoccupied with sin in chapter 7. I think after we get saved, the enemy tries to get us to be preoccupied with sin. Okay. How many of you today are struggling with sin? Would you raise your hand? How many are liars? You're, you're dead. Hey, if someone didn't raise their hand, reach over and touch them because they're dead. That's kind of where we're at today. Our preoccupation with sin. I'm so tired of allowing the enemy to condemn me. I'm tired of it. I'm through. I'm kicking him out. I really mean that. This chapter will help you understand that if you try to go to the Old Testament or the Bible and adhere to a bunch of regulations and rules and laws, you will not be able to enjoy a joyful life in Jesus Christ. And so the scripture teaches us very clearly that we seem to be preoccupied with sin, so much so that we're of no use to the kingdom of God. That's what the enemy wants to do, to render us useless. Now, some people, by the way, you may not know this, those who are becoming familiar with Scripture, like I once was and didn't know this, but chapter 7 is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible. It is really even deeper than the Calvinists and Arminianists or those who believe God chose who's going to be saved and he gives everyone a chance to be saved. That's a big debate in theological circles. This chapter, when Paul's speaking about his struggle with sin, or talks about the struggle of sin, many people in one camp say, he's definitely not talking about a believer, he's talking about an unbeliever. And so many theologians write commentaries and preach sermons on that fact. Then you have another group of people that believe He's talking from the vantage point of one that is saved. And therefore, he's talking about the struggles that you and me can relate to every day when you do things you really don't want to do. And then there's a famous preacher that comes along, and his name is Martin Lloyd. I, I, something keeps coming up on my computer. I don't know what's happening. He's wanting me to... Pay attention to it, just like he's trying to distract your attention right now. He's trying to distract my attention, and it's coming over my whole page, and I'm not able to preach my message. But anyways, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very, very great, great minister, tells us he believes that we're approaching Romans 7 in the wrong way. He believes that the main point of Romans chapter 7 was to dramatically illustrate what happens if you seek sanctification from the law instead of the Spirit? Let me say that again. He believes that the main point of chapter 7, as we get into that and read it, was to dramatically illustrate what happens if you seek sanctification apart from the Spirit through the law. Now, when I speak of the law, when I've read this many times over and over again, you and me sometimes feel we can't relate to that because most of us are not Jewish and most of us did not adhere to all the laws about the community, about the ceremonial laws or religious laws. We, 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 we're never under those. But Paul is writing a letter to those in Rome consisting of Gentiles and Jewish people who were so familiar with the law and put a lot of stock 
in the law, a lot of confidence in the law, either to be saved or now that they are saved, they're in Rome and he's saying, listen, why in the world are you trying to put everyone back under the law again? Why? It is explicitly clear to my messianic brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no room for negotiation. There is no room for the debate. The Bible clearly says you are dead to the law. It says that. You don't believe that? Okay, let's read God's word. Let's go. Verse 1. Now, I want you to see very clearly. The Bible says, not Ron Bramus, not the Baptist church, not the Pentecostal church, not the Catholic church. The Bible says, now, dear brothers and sisters. Who's he talking to? Believers. You who are familiar with the law, that's mostly the Jewish people. But I want you as a believer to think about this. I used to be Catholic, and there was a bunch of rules I followed. Then if I got baptized as a baby, and if I did my first communion, I did my confirmation, and I went to church on just uh, Easter and Christmas, <laughs> that was what I adhered to. And if I did those things, I was a good Christian. And I tried to abide by those things I was taught by mom and daddy or by the church. So when you think of the law or... or, or, or Churchiosity. I remember when I first got saved. They had a whole bunch of rules. I've talked to, to this, about this with you over and over again. When I got saved, here was the list. You can't ever have a drink. You can't ever go to uh, shoot pool. You cannot go to the movie theater. Uh, you cannot play cards. You cannot dance. <laughs> I said, why don't you just put me in a straitjacket? I can't do anything. I was better off lost. I'm holes. Not quite. So think about that. A church has put a bunch of rules on you, a bunch of churchiosity. And if you follow those rules, you are a super Christian and you get a star in church. And, and they'll look to you to be the great leaders in the church. Think about that as we go through this. And the Jewish person, of course, that is brought up under the, the law. By the way, they came up with at least 613 laws. We think of the laws as the Ten Commandments. So I'm trying to help you understand this as you walk through this still. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Every Jewish person knows what the law is. It only applies when you're living. And so that's, the, it only has authority over you while you're living. Let me punctuate this by reading Romans 6.14. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer, or you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Uh-oh, that's God's word, that's not me. I know we got some messianic folks in here. I love the messianic Traditions. I love studying the Passover before, during, and after. I love that. Nothing wrong with that. We should do that. Even on Easter, we should do that. Or before Easter, we should do that. I'm all for that. But I still can eat pork. <laughs> I remember bringing a rabbi to Matt's house one time, and he, he was one of the strictest rabbis from Jerusalem. He was visiting us, and, and it was during Christmas. We had a big old pig in the kitchen. And then I, there was only, the only chair was under the Christmas tree. And then I went to hug his wife like I hugged some of you. Woo! They almost put a, a knife in me. There were traditions that they kept. They believed in adhering to the letter of the law. But the Bible tells us very clearly we're not under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So the law, he's trying to tell you, these churchy laws that you've grown up with, they have no authority over you. And by the way, if you're trying to sustain your Christianity by paying attention to every single one of those down that list, you are going to fail miserably. Every time you read the word of God, you're going to be miserable. And if you think you're that, all that and more, you're going to become pharisaical because you're going to look out your two eyes and you're going to judge everyone else not living up to your standard. Amen? Mm. Turn the volume down, please, a little bit. So he gives us an analogy to help us understand we're not under the law. In order to be sanctified, I believe, in this chapter, we already know the law will not save you. 
Here he goes. For example, in verse 2, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But when he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she will be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So she, he gives us an analogy to prove to you that have been born again, you're not under these rules and regulations anymore. That's not what you pay attention to to get your marching orders. It's not how you keep going to the hows and you'll never be able to do it. It's the who. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is who we pay attention to. Not how, because you'll miss out on the hows. Quit hooting like an owl. How? Or an Indian. How? Start Hooting like an owl. Who? Who? I got those mixed up there a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully you'll remember that. Now, there's nothing I got from the pastor's sermon. I'll remember not to say how anymore, but who? Who? It's who that will give you the victory over your struggle and sin. Not the how. It's the who. Okay? Now, the application to you and me about this little topic right now is spelled out in the next few verses. Verse 4 and 6. Okay, so now, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. Again, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce, here's the reason why, so we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, how many remember being controlled by their old nature? Wow, I remember that very clearly, especially when you get saved when you're older. Sinful desires were work at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produce a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, dead to the law, Released from the law? No authority does the law have over us? Then why are the Jewish people still trying to put us under the law? Why are some in church movements trying to put us under the law still? It can't save us, nor can it sustain us. Let me say that again. It can't save you. You know that for sure. But it may be enlightening to know that it will not sustain you because you can't do it. Remember in Romans, he reminds us that we're married to another. So the husband dies. She's not under the law anymore. Now she's free to marry. God uses that analogy to help us understand that we've died to the law and we now are married to someone else. The Jewish people were married to the law. Perhaps you were married to some churchiology. You did all the things they asked you to do and you thought you were all right. And then you tried to maintain that. Or whatever standard you've come up with, you've tried to maintain that, but you still fall short. He reminds us in Romans 6, 3 through 5. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we were joined him in his death. So if you're in a car and someone robs or kills someone and you're in there, you're an accomplice. You're going to come under judgment. And because you've identified with Christ, you will suffer with Christ, but you're identified with his death. That's what he's teaching you and me. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives to produce good deeds, good fruit. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. Now, what happens is, again, we become preoccupied with sin, and Romans 6, 11 through 13 helps us a little bit further with that idea. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Remember, I told you chapter 6 was about that the penalty has been paid for sin. 
in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we remember that we are dead to sin, to the power of sin. You know and I know that sin has no power over us if we yield to the Spirit. We're not going to hear a lot about the Spirit to the very end of this chapter. And then over 40 times in Romans chapter 8, you will hear about the Spirit. The Spirit, our focus is the Spirit. You see, there's a body and there's a mind and there's a Spirit. You see, God... This spirit has not been glorified, excuse me, this flesh has not been glorified yet. I can tell by looking at you. It's decaying. This is decaying. Why do we spend so much time in it? And by the way, we're, we're trying to worship God, obey the law with our minds. Paul was trying to do that. We'll get to that in a moment. That's our senses. You see, our soul is our mind and our, and our feelings. How are you doing with honoring your mind, God with your mind perfectly? How are you doing on that? Hmm. I know it's, it's just, wow. And then, the, and then the flesh, how you doing there? But see, with your spirit, you have to separate it. The word of God separates that, Hebrews 4.12. It divides the soul and spirit. The spirit is the only, the real you that never sins and is glorified already. That's why in the scripture, it teaches in John he that is born of God, when you read that, you're scratching your head going, how is this possible? Does not commit sin, for his seed remain in him. He cannot sin. And, and you read that and you're going, wow, I'm saved and I've sinned. Remember, you have to separate the flesh, the spirit, and the mind. Many in Romans 7 are trying to, and in the church today, and in religion, they're trying to... to follow with their mind all these rules and regulations and they fall short of being able to do that. So he goes on to say that do not let sin control the way you live. So there is an active part that we play in this sanctification. God could do it without you and me, but he decides to use you and me. You know, I've been reading in the Old Testament and... Uh, there are places in the Old Testament, I think I read in Chronicles this past week, where a million-man army went up against Asa, the king of Judah. But the king of Judah loved God. And you know how we sing that song, the battle belongs to the Lord. And, and sometimes we're wondering, let God do it. And you're saying, well, okay, God do it. And it doesn't seem like he does it. And you're still struggling with the same sin. There are some things that God does all by himself. And that million-man Ethiopian army that went up against Judah, probably about two, 300,000 men, was defeated without Israel doing one thing. They marched out there singing with their army, and when they got to the field in the valley, they realized they had killed one another. The battle belongs to the Lord. There are some battles that you're going through. Some of you, when you got saved, God immediately won the battle for you. Can you relate to that? Some people were maybe drug addicts or alcoholics or liars. I, I was a habitual liar. Immediately God delivered me of that. The battle belongs to the Lord. Some people were alcoholics. God immediately, they'll testify, immediately de delivered them. Immediately. But God, why didn't you do that with everything else? That's what you're asking him, right? How come you didn't go ahead and just clean house? Remember, the penalty has been paid for your sin. Your spirit has been glorified. You have citizenship in heaven and on earth. It is perfect. It's the only perfect thing on you or in you. That is you, the inner man. And then you have the mind. It's not been glorified yet. Neither has your flesh been glorified. It will be glorified one day. You will receive a glorified body just like Jesus. So he's, there is a role that you play. So some of the battles, like Jericho, for example, when they went in and they were told by God to take over Jericho, notice he used his power and he used man. I'm using this illustration for, an ex for a reason. Some of the battles God defeats all by himself. You have literally nothing to do with it, and you glorify him. You sing his praises. You tell everybody about his love and glory. He takes that sin away from you. No battle at all. He just does it. 
You can relate to that. But then some just seem to stick around. Trying to think of a good illustration because some bad ones came to my mind right away. See, my mind's not saved. <laughs> like something smelly, okay? It just, it just lingers around. But some battles that God does work with you on, and the Jericho is a good example. He put holy fear in all those living in Jericho, and he made the walls come down, Correct? but they still had to go in there and win the rest of the battle and kill everyone. So God used his glory and you have a part. So in the struggle in becoming like Jesus, we call sanctification, God has a role and you have a role in some of your struggles. Other struggles, God may just deliver you from just like that. And I'll bet you if I had an hour of testimonies, there would be many in here would say, I came to know Christ and he immediately delivered me from, and you could fill in the blank. Others seem to linger on. And Paul talks about those things and addresses those things, but he's telling the Jewish people and all those under churchiosity, you're trying to be sanctified by the law. You couldn't keep the law. Why are you putting that yoke on new believers? You want them to be circumcised to prove they're saved? You want them to not eat pork to prove they're saved? You want them to go to synagogue and, 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 and honor God on the Sabbath when the Bible says, let no man judge you on your Sabbath? Hmm. You see, no one can keep the law. We try to use a code of rules to try to gain God's approval. But now that we have experienced his love and assured of his acceptance in Christ, we want to thank him and show him our love. Let's move on to looking at the law. If you really try to go by the law, you are doomed. You are doomed if you try to follow your churchiosity or your religiosity or your, your rules or the, the law or the Ten Commandments. How are you doing in the Ten Commandments, by the way? We're going to get to that. You obeying all of them? You, someone just said they obeyed all of them. Okay, okay, we're going to get to one. Okay, we're going to get to one. We're going to get to one. Now, Paul's the greatest saint i ever known, and he's going to get to one. He thought he kept them all. Hey, you know what? Hey, the brother spoke a truth. That's really what a lot of this is about. I, I will be able to jump on that because that's what Romans 8 is about. Not being preoccupied with sin. And so many of us are defeated because we are preoccupied. You, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to... Uh, many of you know I have one scoop of ice cream. And that's all. People can't believe it. They come over to my house. I pull out of the refrigerator. I get one scoop. One scoop. That's all. One scoop. Can you do that? Some of you go, I can't do that. So you, you make a New Year's resolution. I, I'm only going to have one scoop of ice cream, and, and I'm going to quit after that. No, I'm going I'm to have one bowl. One bowl today, and I'm not going to do it anymore. And then the next day, you have another bowl. And the next day, you have another bowl. You're so fixated on that ice cream that you're not able to kick the habit. If I said, told you not to think about a pink elephant... What are you going to think about? So if you get preoccupied with sin, and that's a lot of what chapter 7 talks about, being preoccupied with sin that you never are able to live victoriously. So if you live by the law, then you're doomed by the law because that's what they were fixated on. They were fixated on following all the rules, making sure I checked off the boxes. So that's what Romans 7 through 13 is about. But here's the problem. It reveals that you're doomed from the start if this is where you get your marching orders. If this is how you live the sanctified life, he's going to remind you that here's what the law does. First of all, it reveals sin. Let's look at verse 7. Well, then, I'm suggesting that the law of God is sinful. No, he's not saying that. Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. 
I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Ah, See, Paul went around thinking, like the rich man, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? He rattled off some of the commandments, right? You remember the story? Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. I've never done that, Jesus. Then he said, go sell all that you have. And the man left, grieved, because he had broken the 10th commandment, just like Paul. He had broken the 10th commandment, and see, like Paul, he desired prestige he desired position. He desired status. He desired acceptance. He was coveting what he saw in front of him lived out. And so, therefore, the law just revealed that he was sinful. That's what the law does. It reminds me of when I was in Germany back in 73 and 74 in the army, and they had a thing called the Autobahn. And one thing nice about the Audubon, for the most part, it's still there because I checked it, I looked it up. A lot of the Audubon, there is no, guess what? Speed limit! <laughs> Whoa! About every mile there, there's an accident. <laughs> now, when I drive down Brower Boulevard right here, I avoid Brower Boulevard like a plague between Hiatus and Flamingo. Why? Because there's lots of school signs and zones and flashing lights and police cars all over the place. That When you walk through there, it's supposed, you're supposed to be like, <laughs> I, will, I drive through like, you ain't getting me, buddy. I know that's kind of cocky. See, there's that pride. I just sinned. I just sinned. But I... If they didn't have that flashing light, and if they didn't have that sign, I would be booging on through there probably 30, 45 miles an hour. I wouldn't know I was speeding until they put a sign up that I'm speeding. Just like on Old Hiatus Road, they used to be able to drive 35 miles an hour down there. That means you can drive 40 to 45. <laughs> then... They changed it. I tried to go like this. No, no, they didn't change it. It's 25 miles an hour. That's like a little, a little turtle trying to race the hare. I mean, oh, who can go 25 miles an hour but Lil? No, I, <laughs> I'm just teasing Lil. I mean, who can go 25 miles an hour? I've tried to keep that law. I've tried my best, and I've, I've failed. 25 miles an hour. I, yesterday I came out here and there were people zooming, literally 55, 65 miles an hour racing down Old Hiatus Road. So the speed limit showed me that I was breaking the law. The law reveals that you break the law. That's one of its purposes. It reveals very clearly to you that you're a sinner. Okay, then it goes on and it seems to it seems to revive sin. Notice in verse 8 and 9. But sin uses commandment to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no laws, see, notice he mentioned covetousness. He thought he had kept all the commandments. He was self-righteous like the Pharisees and the Sadducees until he discovered the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. And the reason why the other commandments are external. I can't tell if you're coveting right now inside you. I can't tell what you're doing. I can't see the sin, but God can. And so he realized he was breaking the law by reading the 10th commandment. And here's how it reads in verse 8 and 9. It revives sin. But sin used this commandment to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And at one time, I lived without under, that understanding of the law. Until what? The 10th commandment came. But when I learned the commandment not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So, the law reveals that you're a sinner. Remember, again, he's talking to the, the Jewish people in Rome. Yes, he's talking to the Gentiles. Yes, they can understand. And yes, you can understand because many people, many deacons, many pastors have told you, if you do these things, you are a super saint. Or in the Jewish custom, if you obey these laws like Paul tried to do, 
you are in. And he's trying to remind them, no, that's not how it works because it just revives sin. And then it results in death. Notice verse 10 through 11. That's exactly what happened in the garden. God said, if you eat off this tree, you disobey me, you will die. So the law reveals death. Notice in verse 10 through 11. So he said, I died, and soon I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commandments and deceived me, and it used the commandments to kill me. So the reason why you don't put your confidence in the law at all is because you're doomed by the law. It reveals sin. It revives sin. It results in death if you try to keep that. And then it also reveals a righteousness that you cannot have, get, or keep. Notice in Romans 12 and 13. It says, but still the law itself is holy and its commandments are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what is good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandments for its own evil purposes. If you tell, as I have with my children, you can jump outside, you can jump on the trampoline, but you can't jump on the couch. Guess what the kids want to do? They want to jump on the couch. And so the law, when it says do not covet, do not lie, do not lust, you see that, and, and now it brings it to your mind, and you try to live by that, and it just seems to exasperate the desire further. So the law, the law, if you try to live by it, you will be doomed. <laughs> nope. Then I think about when you try to listen to the law and live by the law, you will be defeated by the law. I spent hours and hours sitting down at a table with 15, 20 people. One of my friends is here, Steve. And we've debated this over and over again. But I don't believe it's debatable. You read the passages and it tells you very clearly that we're not under the law. It tells us. Now, it has a purpose. We're already understanding some of its purposes. It reveals you're a sinner. It reveals sin, how wicked our hearts are. And there are other things that it helps us do. But it cannot help you get saved, nor does it help you become more righteous by adhering to the letter of the law. So he goes on and tells us that if you try to obey the law in order to be sanctified, you will be defeated by the law. Let's read verse 14 through 25. So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. See, there is, is something it is. The trouble is with me. That's what it's revealing. Or you. For I am all too human and a slave to men. Now, he's basically now switches to the present tense. Before he was speaking, speaking past tense. Now he's speaking present tense. So he's saying, the trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. That is, he's talking about his flesh. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. Can you relate to that? But I don't do it. In, instead, I do what I hate. Remember, you got to divide the spirit, the mind, and the body as we walk through this. It's very clearly, he's talking about the body. Not necessarily the skin and flesh. That's not sinful. When God made it, he said it was good. And Jesus took a body that was not sinful. That's Gnosticism. That's a whole other study. So he's talking about the body. 
and the mind. He's saying, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law, it is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. In other words, the devil made me do it. You remember that? The devil made me do it. Just blame the devil. Nor does it give you a pass. If, if, you re, if you're sitting in here and you're reading into this saying, oh, oh, good, it's sin in me. It's not me. Oh, good, when I commit sin, it's not me. I'm not guilty. There's no condemnation. Then you're not understanding what Paul is trying to say to you and me. But if you're trying to live by the law, you will be defeated by it, as he said in these verses, we continue, and I know that nothing good lives in me. Now, th this is the big controversy. Is, is he speaking about his former life, or is he speaking about his present life? As um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if you try to put into this passage, hmm, is it an ungenerate man or a degenerate man? Is it a person, a person that's saved or is it a person that's lost? I think you're going to miss the boat because we all know that if we try to live by the law, we'll not be able to do it. We've already proven that to ourselves. So he goes on to say, just think about this. If you're trying to sustain your Christian life by a bunch of rules and regulations, you will not be able to do it. Do it. You'll be miserable and you'll be defeated by the law. How many times have you tried to quit doing what you're doing? He said over and over again, I'll not do it anymore. And if anyone's here, here saying, well, I have not done it anymore, well, then there's another category and another category and another category. Nobody has been able to be perfect in this life except Jesus Christ. And so we all struggle with sin. And he's going to teach us, especially in Romans 8, how we can live victoriously by not the hows, but focusing on the who, which is Jesus. So he continues, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So he said, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, he's talking about the flesh, talking about the mind. Yes, you may win the victory for three, four days. You may win the victory for a month. You may make a New Year's resolution. But within a short period of time, what happens? You stop working out. You stop eating, you start, 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 start eating more chocolate ice cream. You can't quit it. Because you're trying to do it by doing the checklist of all the hows instead of the who. He continues and said, I love God's law with all my heart, you see. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. We know about that. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a wretched, miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So once again, if your standard is the laws, if your standard is I go to church on Sunday, I've been to Sunday school, I give my tithes and offerings, I have been baptized. If that is your standard and you try to live by that, you will be defeated because of all the rules and regulations you will not be able to keep. You'll be defeated by the law and you'll live defeated lives and you'll not be any use to the kingdom of God because you're not going to share your faith if you're constantly being defeated because you'll feel like a hypocrite. Now he turns the corner as we end and read Romans 7. Excuse me, uh, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. We just touch on it so you know where the victory is won in living this Christian life. It is not by the law. You are dead to the law. There is no speed limit. 
if I go down Broward Boulevard in a hearse and go 45 miles an hour and the cop pulls me over, what's he going to do with the dead man? Is he going to give me a ticket? If I can drive a car as a dead man, I'm doing pretty good. So delivered, we're delivered by the Spirit. So you see, guys, he's saying give up. Give up trying to live by the law. Now start thinking about the Spirit that has been sanctified, that has been glorified, that cannot sin. I want you to focus on the who, not the how. And so he begins in 25. He says, thank God the answer is Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord and Savior. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. How are you doing there? How are you doing? Are you perfect there? He said, be perfect as I am perfect. You can't do it. It's impossible to do. Therefore, you must consider yourself dead to the law. He goes on to say, you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave. And so in verse, we'll just read this, and next week we'll comment on it. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How long have you been allowing the enemy to beat you up with you not honoring God perfectly with your mind and not honoring God perfectly with your flesh, which has not been glorified. God doesn't look at your flesh. He doesn't look at your mind. He looks at your spirit. And he sees perfection because it came from him. And it cannot be stained by sin. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, fully. Jesus did it. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Let me end with this illustration by what I mean as the victory, by not thinking about the how. Always remember that. How, how, how. You will never accomplish anything by saying how. But if you say who, 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 you will be victorious. Who? So, how many know who Corey Ten Boom is as I leave you with an illustration? Corey Ten Boom, who was in the Oshawa's camps, who got out and preached all over the world. She was sharing one day about, she wasn't preaching, she was sharing. She was sharing and she saw in the back room one of Hitler's right-hand men who had caused her to strip herself naked and all the women and take him to the showers. She happened to, they pulled her aside perhaps because she looked different or whatever the case was. She hated that soldier. And she saw him in the back room and he came forward at the end of the service and said, praise God for his forgiveness and his grace. And he stuck out his hand. Now, what's the flesh doing? She's saying, I was mad. I put my hands behind my back. I could not do it. I couldn't. I, I had hatred for this man. So she prayed a quiet prayer. She said, God, Jesus, would you forgive him through me, please? And she stuck out her hand, and she said she felt the power and the glory of God go through her mind, her body, her arm, her hands, and connected with his hands. And she was able to forgive him because her focus was on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the how, it was the who. Would you stand with me at this time?
If you're here today, you've learned by now that if you keep a laundry list of do's and don'ts, you'll never do it. Isn't that wonderful? God said, I did it for you. I've already done it. I paid the bill in full. You, that penalty for your sin has been paid for in full. I did it for you. Just ask me and I'll give you the bill of receipt. And the power of sin, we know that as believers, does not have to have control over you at all. The power of sin. You can live a life of victory and bring glory and honor to God. So if I follow you most days, if you follow me most days, I believe that you will see Jesus and I believe I will see Jesus in most of you. Most seconds, most minutes, most hours, most days, most weeks. That's one way, by the way, how I defeat the devil. You know, he comes to you and says, oh, you haven't been living for me. Yeah? How about last second? How about the last minute? <laughs> how about the last hour? Oh, I didn't sin. How about yesterday? I didn't sin. Ever done that to the devil? Get out of my mind. Get out of my heart. I'm living by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, my focus is on Jesus. Not the law. Not the do's and don'ts. But my eyes are focused on Jesus. I was buried with Him in death. I've been raised. I've been baptized in the family of God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He is right work in you and me. He is causing you to do good and to will according to His good pleasure. It is Him that's at work. So any good I do is because, like Corey Tim Boom, God, she didn't want to do it, but God worked through her as she stretched forth her hand, and God will do the same in your life and my life. Give God the praise this morning. <laughs> Father, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, remind them they can call on you. You paid the price for our sin, and you will cause them to be born into the family of God forever and ever. You will do it all. Remind them of that. And then you give us the Holy Spirit. As we focus on the Spirit of God, He will walk us through this life and living victoriously for you and being salt and light. Help them make that decision today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Remind you at this time we come forward to pray and continue to worship God in song. And of course, if you're looking online, fill out the comment section if you need a prayer answer to you have a prayer request or you've given your life to Jesus, please write something in the comment section. God bless you as we continue the worship. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.